Welcome to episode 14 of You Are Not A Frog. Help, my senior partner's a jerk. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, hospital doctors and other busy people in high-stress jobs. Working in today's high-stress environment, you may feel like a frog in boiling water. Things have heated up so slowly that you might not have noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. You've got used to feeling constantly busy and are often one crisis away from not coping. Let's face it, frogs only have two choices, to stay in the pan and get boiled alive or to hop out and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more choices than you think you do. There are simple changes that you can make which will make a huge difference to your stress levels and help you enjoy life again. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this so that together we can take back control to survive and really thrive in our work and lives. I'd like to tell you about our new CPD forms. If you want to learn while you listen and claim CPD points, then go to the link in the show notes and sign up to receive our fully downloadable podcast CPD forms. Each one is populated with show notes and links so that you can listen, reflect and then note down what you're going to do. A quick, easy and enjoyable way to do your CPD. In this episode, I chat with Dr. Jamie Wiley. He's a portfolio GP from near Great Yarmouth, and he's a former director of clinical transformation. He also has a master's in leadership and health improvement from Ashridge. He's a fellow Lead Manage Thrive presenter, and he co-authored the course. I thought you'd be really interested to hear some of his views about partnership and about generally getting along in a practice. So Jamie, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. And first of all, I just want to ask, what is that in front of your microphone? It's a thing called a pop screen, um, uh, or you may recognise it as my wife's tights. <laughs> uh, but it, it prevents those nasty little pops and bangs when you yeah. say puh and buh. I know that it just doesn't look like any pop screen I've ever seen before. No, that's because I made it at half past 11 last night. <laughs> that is, it's that amazing is... what you can do with a coat hanger and a, and a pair of old tights. That is commitment to a podcast. So, you know, we've got, we've got surgeons, you know, saving people's lives with coat hangers on aeroplanes. And we've got Jamie. <laughs> saving pops in podcasts. <laughs> yeah, also, saving a podcast. with coat hangers. Brilliant. So um, I've got Jamie on today because we would like to consider a few things that we're, we're asked. We're, we're often asked lots of questions as we go around the country when we do our Lead Manage Thrive course. So Jamie is one of my co-authors, co-presenters on the Lead Manage Thrive course. And I absolutely love doing the course with him. You know, he is so uh, grounded in management leadership theory and always sort of has a really interesting take on stuff. So I wanted to ask him a question that we are asked quite a lot by people and it's a, a, a question about about practice so let me just read out the question and uh, maybe we'll have a discussion about it if that's okay Jamie so fire away do you are not a frog I've recently joined a practice as a partner where I've been a salary GP for the last five years I love the practice everyone's friendly and the other four partners are great mostly my problem is that the senior partner has become more and more stuck in his ways he set up the practice 30 years ago and it's gradually become larger we now have around 16 um 16, patients the workload seems to be going up exponentially and we're all staying later and later whenever i try to bring this up in a meeting for example suggesting getting more gp sessions or trying some new schemes for example doc man he shuts the discussions down 
When I was salaried, I noticed he could be a bit autocratic, but it seems to have got 10 times worse. The other partners moan about it, but no one seems prepared to stand up to him. He's due to retire in three years and seems obsessed with maintaining the status quo until then. I'm at my wits end and don't know what I can do differently. So there's <laughs> an awful lot in that, I think. Yeah. And it's certainly a common complaint that, you know, I've heard from people. Have, have you heard people having problems like this? Yeah, absolutely. It feels very much like the sort of thing that one experiences kind of day to day and talking to colleagues around the area. It's, it's a very recognisable situation, isn't it? Mm. So, so Jamie, what would you say to the person asking that? <laughs> what would you, you know, where would you even start? Um, I, I mean, obviously, face to face with people, I think one would want to start with empathy, wouldn't you? You want to recognise this is difficult, it's hard, you've taken a step into partnership and it feels like, hang on, as soon as you've done that, things are starting to go wrong and it's all about this, you know, the senior partner. And yeah, we feel for that person, don't we? Um, that's hard. And I think there's a, there's a lot of great content on the, uh, on the podcast already that should be helping that person to, uh, to engage with their own feelings and to self-manage. And that's really, really important. Because I think the, the place I'd start with this is to, is to recognise that the way we've set this problem up articulates the problem as entirely located in the senior partner. Mm but the only person we really have control over is ourselves. Um, and so there's, there's something in there just about, uh, we'll, you know, in a moment we're gonna get into that discussion, aren't we, about where the senior partner's coming from and what's going on and what can you do and how can you move it along? But the first place to recognize, the first thing to recognize, the place to start, is that you can't change your senior partner you can only change yourself. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, this person only noticed this when they became a partner. And this, mm. this seems to happen a lot. You know, you know, this person was really fine. And then suddenly we've joined them as a partner and suddenly they're awful. And obviously probably that person hasn't changed at all. But what's changed is your, your own perception of what's going on, probably. And I think the step into partnership changes relationship, doesn't it? Um, I think uh, having been a partner for, for, for some years um, and then stepped out of partnership and then stepped back into being a salary GP in the same practice, there's been an, it was an interesting experience personally, um, recognising that partnership is a different relationship and it requires different things of the individuals. So as a salary GP, you're much less of a threat. And so perhaps the partner is easy, is, you know, finds it easier to engage, easier to accept suggestions and recognises you as an employee to whom they have uh, certain find responsibilities um, mm. but, but as a partner it's it's both a more uh, is intimate the right word I don't know that intimate is the right word but it's a more entangled relationship it's a more complex mm. relationship um, uh, and, and therefore can feel I think sometimes more threatening more scary um, for, for people yeah and I've certainly in the coaching that I've done with um, with managers who've actually been promoted and moved moved up a level it's exactly the same so mm. whereas they've had a boss that's been fine with them whilst they were subordinate as it were as soon as they've been promoted to be on the same level as their boss you're right the relationship changes doesn't it and there's no longer that sort of hierarchical understanding of well if I say something it's probably just going to happen now yeah. it's well actually if we're if we're partners then I can't just tell you what to do or tell you what's going to happen. But it sounds like the senior partner is still trying to be a bit hierarchical. He's being hierarchical with the rest of his partners as well. Well, it, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Where do you think that comes from? Oh, 
I think, I mean, I, I think what I hear in the story is a sense of, of almost anxiety in the senior mm. partner. I, I, it's always difficult in a conversation like this where one's, one's innate sympathies with the person who's saying, hang on, I've made this step and suddenly it's got difficult and you feel for them. But equally, I have to say in this, in this scenario, I really feel for the senior partner. Mm. I, you know, set the practice up 30 years ago, has worked in it consistently, has built it and has served patients. And you think about the NHS now and the amount of change that they're having to that we're having to engage with day, day by day and that the senior partner is having to engage with and the anxiety that will be provoking the senior partner as they think about networks and it's just so complex and different and difficult. Um, I, I feel for the senior partner because they're struggling and they're feeling, they're feeling anxious, I suspect. Yeah, and I know that when we teach that negotiation on the Lead Manage Thrive course, we always talk about trying to drill down to the interests and needs of the other person. Mm. And that's really just by, I guess, listening to what, to what their fears and worries are. I guess if you're going to be retiring soon, a lot of, a lot of older GPs that I speak to say to me, Actually, I just don't want to burn out before I retire. Yes. That's, that's my one goal is just to be able to survive and cope and it, it may be that for this chap he's just actually on the edge of what he can cope with and the thought that mm. they've got to do that for the next three years don't don't put anything else on me don't put any more change don't change the systems that I've been working with I'm just about coping yeah. how, how, how could this person find that out from the senior partner you know would you recommend asking him outright or how should how should they approach it it's going to depend on the knowledge of the person isn't it mm. but uh, my my gut call is that that you know you have that slight moment of i guess what Charles ferguson would call squeaky bum time where you just feel those, <laughs> just feel those feel those buttocks clench don't you as, as as you imagine this new partner just wandering in at coffee time and going so how are you feeling <laughs> are you stressed it's not going to work well, is it? Um, no. If, if, but it does feel like maybe finding ways into that conversation, kind of, kind of finding lateral ways in rather than going full on. Um, the full frontal assault, probably not the way forward. I, I, love, I love these um, metaphors you're using, Jamie. I, my mind is now full of all sorts of things, of full frontal and squeaky bums. <laughs> yeah, it's perhaps a slightly unfortunate mixed metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but if you do need to understand where someone's coming from and it is it is so important how how can you do that without it being really cringy and really obvious so i think this comes from relationship doesn't it mm. and the question is is there a is there a the, the question in my mind is uh, is there a a way in which this practice relates to one another um uh, what's the um, what a colleague Riaz would call the culture of the practice. Um, uh, is this a practice that sits down together, that talks about things, that has a regular coffee break? Or is this a practice where you come in, you sit down, you log on, you close the door, uh, and then you run out again as fast as you can without talking to anyone so you don't get involved in any of that stuff? And because frankly, life's busy enough and I don't have time for coffee. Mm. Uh, the coffee break or similar. Does it have to be a coffee break? I guess it probably doesn't. There would be other ways of doing it. But some form of social contact is absolutely vital um, because as, as a partnership, you're working in relationship. And if the only time that you work on that relationship 
um, is when you're actually trying to do the business together. You're not so much focused then on the relationship, you're focused on the business and the outcomes and, and, the, and what you're, the decisions you're taking together. So you never learn who one another are, how you tick, how to get at this stuff. Um, I mean, I guess my, my gut feeling would be the same. Maybe try, if there isn't a regular meeting uh, that's, that is at least somewhat social, um, that you try to introduce it. And the great thing about medicine is that you can do social over the medicine in the sense that, um, that maybe in a business meeting you're focusing on decision making and talking about the management and the, the, you know, all that stuff. Whereas it's much easier somehow, we're less invested, I, I guess, it's less threatening to say, oh, I saw this patient and what do you think? And gradually that gets you into the discussion where you're able to say, what are you doing this weekend? You know, what's this partner's family set up? Has kids moved on? You know, what, what's going on with them? Is he worried about income? There's all sorts of stuff that might be going on, but you won't get at it unless you've got a relationship. Yeah. And it just makes me think that actually that they're a partnership, right? So there are going to be other people who've been there longer that, that probably know him better. And maybe they're the person to really find out what the, the background worries are. You know, they might have worked together for 20 years. I mean, that, that might be a, a plus. It might be a minus. You know, we had, you know, I, I heard recently of a practice where there were two partners and they just hated each other and didn't speak to each other. It's like crumbs. So, you know, if there was some better relationships with some of the other partners or some deep not better but deeper relationships and maybe they mm. they can get on the same branch a little bit easier and really understand what the motivation is i was just thinking um there's a quite an interesting model by conan bradford about how you influence without without the hierarchy so mm -hmm. i guess in a partner in a partnership it's supposed to be flat isn't it but then there is always someone who's been there longer and, and sees himself as the leader perhaps or they might be a managing partner or you know you might have quite intentionally said right you are the leader at the moment um yeah. but they talk about so these these different types of currency one is about you know are you motivated is your currency about status about how you're seen or is it are you motivated by, by finance um are you motivated by being inspirational or is it by the task getting stuff done or you know position related would be about sort of recognition and, and reputation what what can this person do to try and work out how the senior partner is motivated? I think you're absolutely right that talking to other partners who've worked with them longer is likely to be a good way of doing it. But I think also just noticing um, mm. this stuff comes out as you make decisions together. Maybe not decisions about, you know, where are we going to have the Christmas party? Um, but the bigger decisions about what are we going to do about the network? What are we going to do about staffing levels? Those sorts of things. And it's legitimate in those discussions to say, okay, I'm getting a sense that, that you and I are thinking differently about this. Can you help me understand what, what is it about the suggestion about bringing on board another GP um, that's, that's concerning you? you know, mm. what, what, what am I not seeing? I think it's legitimate also for this individual to recognize that they're a, they're a new partner. And so, mm. There's a lot to learn in partnership, isn't there? Mm. I, th I think I, so I was a partner for about nine years, I think, um, and I was only scratching the surface by then. Um, and so I think there is something about recognizing that it's legitimate to say, help me understand, what am I not seeing? Are, are there mm. business decisions that, that are business influences here? Is it just that it's the thought of the change and you're, you're mm. absolutely sinking? 
And it's perfectly legitimate to recognize if someone is absolutely sinking and feels that their nose is only just above the waterline, change such as bringing in Docman or bringing in a new partner, um, those changes require investment. Mm. If you haven't got the capacity for that investment, that change will look very, very daunting. Yeah. And I did, did a podcast recently with Ben Gowan when we talked about how you start to get change in practices where it might be full of people who are resistant. And we mm-hmm. talked about how, you know, just starting with one change with one patient for one, on one occasion and then telling the story about how that's worked and helping the person see, you know, the reason why you need to change all those, all those sorts of things. And the, the book we were referring to is, I think it's called Help Our Iceberg Is Melting. Um, so, you know, how you actually... Uh, communicate that change with people um yeah. so i think you know if anyone's interested in that go go listen to the, the podcast i did with ben gowan because it's really interesting what he had to say this but this particular partner it was just striking me that you know he he's up to his eyeballs in work he's gonna retire soon he may be struggling to even see what could be done differently and i guess one mm. one question i often ask people in coaching is if you could wave a magic wand what would be happening and that's really nice because it sort of removes all the blockers so maybe they could try in a partnership meeting saying look if we could wave a magic wand what would be happening in this practice and then get out some ideas well you know someone else would be looking at the the, the letters for us we'd have probably a few more GPs and, and ask, ask him, what does he see? If he could wave a magic wand, what could be happening? And if he says, well, we'd be doing exactly the same. Say, well, is, is that your magical scenario that you're working this hard, that, that things are exactly the same? And probably, probably it's not. I think in some, <clears throat> and I may, be, I may be reading my own kind of where I'm at personally. Um, I may be reading that into this individual's world. But, um, but I think for some of of our older colleagues there's a there's an enormous sense of bereavement yeah. of it was better mm. and somehow it's got broken mm. um and that might be articulated as blame of politics or you know nhs england or all the changes or the fact that there aren't enough gps or the fact mm. that the, the 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 newer generation of gps are this or they're that or you know mm. but actually what sits underneath it is the sense of bereavement if you gave me a magic wand i go back 20 years because mm. it's better I had better mm. relationships with my patients. I was better able to care. And I think sometimes being able to say, no, but hold on, actually, there is, a, there is another narrative which we would recognise, which is that, mm. you know, and that might be that, well, things are different, the population is growing, but also we are, we are delivering better care. You know, the outcomes are better than they were 20 years ago, and that has complicated our lives. Doubt um, mm. about it. The medicine's got more complex, and the patients have got more elderly and complex. But actually... It's, it is better care, although the relationships with patients are harder. And so capturing that sense of, well, what is it? What's the heart of it for you? Is it the relationship with patients? That would be legitimate. Or is it that actually you love the fact that 20 years ago you were able to walk into the surgery, feel like you did a good job, walk out and go and have two hours, two hours at home at lunchtime? Mm. That also is not, it's not illegitimate to feel that way. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work 
without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. But if you want to get back to that, then you're going to need to embrace that change of, okay, so someone else is going to need to deal with paperwork. And we're going to need a practice pharmacist or maybe two or three so that they can deal with a lot of the prescribing queries. And we're going to need to employ a paramedic so that they can help us with visits. Um, and then suddenly, once we've done that, look, you've got your two-hour lunch back. Mm. And that's, that's not a... I think there's sometimes this feeling of guilt if we can't say, oh, I... I really wish I didn't have to work so hard. I wish I could get home. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, not a, that's not a bad wish. Yeah. I know. We think we, yeah. Yeah, we see it as sort of weak if we're not prepared to just put up with the whole, uh, you know, working 13-hour days and, you know, we just, just put our heads down and just get on with it. Mm. And, you know, GPs, I think, are incredibly resilient because we've, we we've just had to be because that there is no one else who's going to take up the slack if you don't deal with that blood result mm. on you know there's no one else that's going to deal with it for you if you're it if you're on call or whatever so it's you know we we've, we've got that mindset but there comes a point where that mindset then becomes really dangerous to our health um and our feelings of happiness and en- engagement with work so yeah. I'm just I'm just interested in what you said right at the beginning. Actually, the only person that we can change is ourselves, um, no matter how much we try and influence. What other small things do you think this person could do to help this situation? I think engaging with engaging with the partner themselves, engaging with um, engaging with the other partners, and trying to understand that's what we've covered. I think the other thing I would I would just this is a harder one, particularly if you're the junior partner. But for me, there's something here about the definition of partnership. Um, I think many of our colleagues um, deal with partnership as though it's uh, as though it's just a it's just an employment model, um, or it's just a contractual model, or it's just a it's a legal arrangement. Um, but I, I think I would probably say that. I'm a fan of Peter Block's definition of partnership. I'm currently reading his book, uh, which is called Stewardship, um, Choosing Service Over Self-Interest. It's a really interesting read. It will will in equal parts fascinate and infuriate, I suspect, um, those of us working in service industries. Um, But he talks about partnership as having kind of four core definitions. Uh, the first of which, and he's talking, he's using partnership in a technical sense, not in the sense of a legal partnership, okay, but in yeah. the sense of a way of engaging with an organisation. Partnering. Absolutely. Seeking to move to a model of partnership as opposed to patriarchy is, is, is yeah, I think okay. how he would set it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, it, you know, you read the book and it's inspiring, it's very attractive. But also I have to say, I think... It, that approach to our organizations of of trying to work in partnership rather than trying to look rather than trying to lean on command and control um i would say i think i i've seen that be far more fruitful um both in terms of the human interactions it makes places more pleasant places to work but also more successful more thriving organizations but his four definitions of partnership start with exchange of purpose but there has to be a conversation about what the purpose of this organization is. Um, uh, and we have to talk to one another about 
why we're doing what we're doing. Um, uh, so there's, a, there's something in this scenario that we set up um, of that, the partnership having that conversation with one another. What is the, uh, what is the exchange of purpose? Where, where do they have that conversation? How do they broker between one another? Um, what they really think they're doing, why they're doing what they're doing. Um, so something about exchange of purpose. Um, so yeah, for what it's worth, his other definitions are uh, the right to say no doesn't mean mm. that you always get your way, but it means that you never lose your voice. You always mm. have a right to disagree. Yep. Um, uh, joint accountability. Uh, there is mm. nobody else to blame other than the partners um, uh, and the requirement that brings then for absolute honesty. Um, and that honesty is a key part of partnership. And I think that's, those are really helpful concepts for people engaging in or thinking about engaging in partnership to recognise that it, something like that has to be the foundation of a partnership relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, I love those. So exchange of purpose, the right to say no, joint accountability and absolute honesty. Yeah, yeah. And that's Peter Block, not me, just credit where it's due. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But I, I really like that as a, as a definition, kind of the core, the, the beating heart of partnership. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting, uh, having sort of worked with various partnerships and things, I think a lot of them have the right to say no. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of them, well, they just have joint accountability because they are liable. But I don't think they've done the exchange of purpose or the absolute honesty. And what they do is they then just use the right to say no all the time instead of the honesty. Mm. it's just like no veto that veto that because i can't really be honest about the fact that i don't want to try this new scheme because i'm too knackered to be able to even think about doing something differently so i'm just going to say no and i i think block would call that abdication um, and what he says yeah, okay. is that one of his one of the quotes of his that I really love is that abdication for an individual and he uses the word manager but I think I would be more comfortable using the word leader in a in a partnership mm -hmm. context uh, or perhaps even partner um, but abdication for an individual partner is the first step uh, to supporting anarchy as a governance strategy Gosh. if you if all you ever do is say no uh, and you're withdrawing and kind of stepping back really what you're doing is saying that, that there is no there is no government strategy there's no mm. there's no way of brokering and making decisions yeah but i i think i'd probably want to drill into that sense of well they have joint accountability because they are partners and i think that is i i don't think that's the heart of what block's saying i think the heart of what he's saying is that it's owning that joint accountability mm. and recognizing that there is no one else to blame there's nowhere else to mm. go everything that happens in the organization is actually something that I will own. Um, mm. Now that's not about feeling massively overburdened because what he would say is if you feel massively overburdened by that, then what's probably going on is you're still operating inside a model of patriarchy that you believe you own all the people and therefore they are your responsibility. Mm. If they were all in partnership with you, then they are all jointly accountable and suddenly it becomes a much more comfortable place. But that sense of owning that the way people talk to one another, the way business gets done, uh, the way care gets arranged, the way the receptionists talk to the patients actually all of that is a reflection of of me and i own that mm. um that both brings enormous responsibility but it also gives us enormous agency that actually we can change it and there's a whole other conversation in there isn't there about mm. how you know culture and culture change and how one engages with that and how one does that um uh, and yeah maybe that's one for another podcast 
and just strikes me as well some of the practices i've seen they have abdicated their accountability and made the practice manager accountable <laughs> and then yeah. the partners won't make any decisions and the and the poor practice manager is trying to run the practice seems to be accountable for everything but all the partners are saying is no or, or not even saying no they're just not even making any decisions so the practice managers are tearing their hair out going well I, i've asked them about this i've asked them about this i've told them that we really need to do this with the nurses otherwise they're going to leave but they just won't make a decision. And I guess not making decision is, is a passive aggressive way of just saying no to stuff. Yeah. In a way. Or perhaps is a reflection of the profound anxiety yeah. that, that leading organisations causes, particularly in times of great change. Mm. When it was all really clear that your job as a partner was basically to come to work, to see the patients and, you know, and, and that was it. Um, it was easier. And now you've got to make all these decisions and it's difficult and the recruitment environment sucks and you've got PCN ballooning next door and you're a bit suspicious of the practice that's the lead practice for the PCN and just the whole thing provokes enormous anxiety. And I think for some people what that leads to is a kind of paralysis of decision making, but the anxiety is what prevents us. I, I don't know that I have an easy answer for that one though. Any thoughts? Well, I was just thinking, you could probably start by writing, if you're in a partnership like this, just writing down what you reckon your job description is as a partner. You know, mm, what, what am I, what are we all here for? Maybe you could do that as a team exercise. What is our, if we were to, if we were to pay hundreds of thousand pounds to external consultants to come and look at us and tell us what our job descriptions were, what would they yeah. say they are actually looking yeah. at us? What would they say they were looking at us? And what, what would they say they, they were if we actually properly thought about it and that would be quite interesting then to look at the difference between what partners are actually doing and what they should be doing yes. as partners but i think there's also there's something about you know that sense of writing your own job description um mm. of saying well if i was going to apply for a job what would i want it to be like mm. what, what do i actually want what are the bits that i have to carry that i really don't want to carry mm. uh, and maybe you know maybe if you ask this senior partner to write his perfect job description what you might find is that the perfect job description that he writes is actually a salary GP. Yeah. Role. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that perhaps the, the some finding some way of, of helping him to, to recognize that maybe actually he's, he's at the point where he doesn't, he doesn't really want to be engaged in all this stuff. And that just coming in and seeing the patients and going home again is, is enough at three years to retirement. That's what works mm. for him. And maybe that could work for the practice. Yeah. If you offered him the opportunity to write that job description, who knows? Mm. That's a really powerful suggestion, Rachel. It's really interesting. Thank you. Not, <laughs> not something I've ever done. No, I just, yeah. Because it just strikes me that, you know, when we go back to how this chap is reacting in the meetings, um, you know, I talk a lot about our amygdalas being activated and us going into our fight, flight or freeze zones. It sounds yep. to me like when the other partners are suggesting stuff, his amygdala is activated. He's not, you know, a rational person would think, actually, yes, it's going to be good for the practice, it's going to reduce my work, let's go with it. But, you know, one of the threats that we feel as human beings, it's completely unconscious. It's our inner chimp coming out. It's a hierarchical threat. So if he feels there's any mm. sort of hierarchical threat or a threat to his work or something, he, he suddenly starts thinking in his amygdala fight flight or freeze zone he's not thinking straight anyway so it's thinking of ways in which they could raise this stuff that's not going to trigger him that's not gonna 
make him feel threatened immediately. So sort of saying, look, we don't want to provide any more work for you. You know, maybe one of us can go and investigate some stuff and absolutely we will bring it to the partnership and nothing is going to be forced on you that you don't want to do. So sort of give them a getting out clause, mm. although I guess you have to be careful with that because if the rest of the partnership thinks everyone should do it, then maybe. But, you know, just reassure him that you're not threatening his status as senior partner. You're actually um, trying to make things better so just avoiding that that triggering response which is using empathy which is listening which is being careful of the language that you're using um, mm. um and being i guess this is where you probably want to be very collaborative in your language as opposed to very autocratic you know because you don't want to go sort of chimp to chimp as it were um, yes. yeah so i think you know it, it's again communication skills and, and and actually asking asking questions as a way mm. of inquiring rather than saying, I think we should do this. What do you think? Say to the senior partner, I've been really thinking about how we can improve our, our, our workload. Do you have any suggestions? Have you considered anything? I've got a few that I'd love to share, but you know, what's your gut feeling about this? So they get a chance to share. So they're, you're sort of co-creating this as well. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, that's really, that's really positive, isn't it? And I think, I guess the one other thing I'd say is that it's worth thinking about practice away days. Mm. Um, or doing it, you know, if it's not an away day, then, you know, doing it over a weekend or something like that. But so that you're out of the run and you're not in the context of the day-to-day -day stress so that all of those, you know, all of that good stuff um, is easier to do. Whereas when we come to these conversations played out, having had a stressful, challenging morning surgery and with three visits sitting on our, on our shoulder that we know we've got to get to, but unfortunately we know we've got the meeting. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very hard then to listen well, to practice empathy, yeah. to watch the other person's body language, to be careful about our own use of language, to manage our own internal environment such that we don't then end up lighting up as people say stuff. Mm. Um, it's just easier to do it when you're your best version of yourself, which mm. for me is not at 1 p.m. on a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do try and get everything done, don't we, within practice. And I think, you know, a lot of people want to keep working work. So the idea of having practice meetings outside of office hours, as it were, is, is sort of fairly intolerable. But but if 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 you genuinely can't find some good time or you can't take some time off within your hours to get away and do an away day, then, then doing it at the weekend or the evening is, is probably really, really important. I mean, I, my, my feeling is, and I probably would say this as a team coach and as someone who does facilitate away days, is that you need to be making time for this within your working hours um, to actually get away and to do this practice development work because it's so important. Most practices spend a lot of time, you know, like you said, in business meetings, but absolutely no time working on the team. Mm. how are we working how are we interacting together do we need to shift shift and shuffle around some responsibilities to make us work better because absolutely why should one person carry the can for being senior partner i'm thinking this senior partner probably feels this massive weight of responsibility yeah that it's up to them to sort the practice out and probably if they realize that the others really want to help and really want to take on some of that burden probably feel a massive weight off their mind yeah i think that's that's very likely to be the case. Right? So, a quote from um, Earl Shoris, which um, Peter Block uses, which says, in business, people do not arrive at totalitarian methods because they're evil, but because they wish to do the good in what seems to them the most efficient way, 
or because they wish merely to survive or with no more evil intent than to prosper. And it's that sense of how in this, in this context, what's very easy is to start to build a picture of the senior partner as being the problem mm. um, uh, and just stepping back and recognizing that this is another human being who's just coming, who's just trying to survive um, or who's trying to get stuff done in the most efficient way. Uh, this is the way that they've fallen into uh, it's yeah. worked for them over time. Um, yeah, I think that that whole thing of just recognizing the other as a as a human. Mm. Mm. And if you wow. don't spend time together, it's really hard to do that. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. And you know, it's an, another whole topic: trust building trust within teams. And for that, you know, a very quick resource that you could look at is Patrick Lencioni, the five dysfunctions of a team, which we talk a lot yes. about on the Lead Manage Thrive course, and it's been really really helpful to me. We love it. Absolutely. Yes. Not going to go into it now because we're, <laughs> we're, we're out of time. We'll, we'll do another one on, on the five dysfunctions of a team, actually, I think. And I just think that quote you read, wow, that is really, really powerful. Um, I think if we just remember that, that, that's just sort of changed my whole perspective, actually, when I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about this. So thank you. Really good. Cool. So um, let's wrap it up there, Jamie. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Definitely oh, getting you definitely getting back i think a regular agony uncle slot <laughs> just be called an ugly uncle uh, uh, perhaps more agony than uncle but <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone would like to submit a question could be about anything we'll, we'll we'll pull out your best ones uh jamie and i will do another another slot on i think we call it ask the frog how's that <laughs> ribbit 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 brilliant all right jamie have a good rest of the day and thanks for being on and we'll speak to you soon thank you very much rachel always a pleasure and speak again soon bye i hope you enjoyed listening to that episode and i thought it might be useful to give you a list of my top suggestions for cringe free team development activities which you can use for away days or practice meetings so if you want to get this fully downloadable list of suggestions for activities then do click on the link in the show notes sign up and we will send you the link to it i hope it helps Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe to the podcast and also please rate it on iTunes so that other people can find it too. Do follow me on Twitter at Dr. Rachel Morris and you can find out more about the face-to-face and online courses which I run on the youarenotafrog.co.uk website. Bye for now. <laughs>